teachers in this room, those words bring flashbacks. My most memorable student teaching experience happened when I was in 11th grade. And our student teacher was uh, a sweet and kind and soft-spoken and mild-tempered young woman. And although we never planned it, we never coordinated anything, somehow our 11th grade English class decided that we would make this woman's life absolutely miserable. And uh, I was not the ringleader, but I have to confess I was a willing participant We would ask her nonsense questions. We'd constantly ask if we could go to the bathroom. We pushed back on her at every level, on every way. And in fact, when her student teacher uh, observer came, we made it worse. And uh, we challenged her authority from day one. She never really established or expressed her authority with our class. And rumor had it that after her student teaching... uh, experience with us that she changed her major to elementary ed. The worst part of this story is that soon after she was our student teacher, this young woman visited our church, and uh, I felt so guilty. I couldn't even look at her. Uh, And so, you know, she didn't really express or establish her authority. There was an authority issue in that classroom. And... uh, You know, the the verses that we read this morning, they may seem like a bunch of random verses that are linked together, but there's actually one unifying theme, and it's a theme of authority. And uh, just to bring you up to speed, so far in Luke's gospel, we have seen the incredible, unique birth of Jesus Christ. We've seen over the last few weeks how he grew up as a young man, how John the Baptist made ready, prepared the way for Jesus, how John the Baptist baptized Jesus and the the Father and the Spirit affirmed and confirmed the the mission of Jesus Christ through that baptism. Last week we talked about the, the temptation that Christ experienced in the wilderness and how he passed the test for us. And now this week, as we see the early ministry of Jesus in Galilee, his mission, his purpose, his power, his glory, they continue to unfold. And the idea of authority is paramount in this passage. Jesus' authority is expressed and established at every turn. And that's the theme that I want us to think about this morning, that Jesus Christ has authority. And it begins here in these early days in Galilee, but his reign and his authority and his glory and his power, it wasn't just real 2,000 years ago. It's very real now, today, in our lives and in our worlds. Our world, it's strong and real and glorious and magnetic and compelling, even for us today in our lives. Jesus Christ still has authority. That's what I want us to think about this morning. And my hope is that that his authority will be established in our hearts as we study his word this morning. So the first thing I want us to see from Luke 4 is that Jesus expressed his authority through his message. Jesus expressed his authority through his message over and over again in this passage. The idea that people were astonished by his words and the way that he taught. And he taught as one who had authority. 
He was going to all the synagogues. He was teaching in the synagogues. People heard about him. And now he comes to his hometown. He comes to his old stomping grounds. And as he expresses that authority, there's something that's really interesting that we see. One of the first things we see is that Jesus' authority started by him spending time at the synagogue. In, in 30 verses here in Luke 4, the word synagogue is mentioned six times. And in verse 16, it says this, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath. As you know, the synagogue was a place where Jewish people went to worship God week in and week out. Going to the synagogue was a normal, regular part of the rhythm of Jesus' life. Folks knew him. He not only grew up in Nazareth, he grew up in the synagogue. And in some real way, his preaching ministry and his authority was shored up and built over years of being part of this local synagogue. To put it in our terms, Jesus grew up going to church. It was a normal part of his life. It was his regular, normal custom. And our lives and our hearts and our minds and our actions are shaped. I don't know if you think about this much, but they're shaped by the regular practices that we have in our lives. Weekly worship of God with God's people is not something that's supposed to be rote and automatic But it is not a bad thing that it's an anchor in our lives and a custom in our lives. And we see it here in the life and ministry of Jesus. What does the text tell us that happened when he went back to the the synagogue on the Sabbath in his hometown? Uh, We read in verse 16 that he stood up to read. His place and his custom, his practice of essentially going to church each week didn't simply mean he was a bystander or an attender. I think it's fair to say that Jesus was a leader in training. And this week he, he'd come back, people had heard about his ministry, and now he came back to his home synagogue. And this was probably one of his first sermons back at his home church. Turned out it would be his last. Um, so he took the scroll... And he found Isaiah 61. Now this wasn't his life verse. This wasn't, let me find my favorite passage in the Bible to read. By reading Isaiah 61, this was an unmistakable declaration by Jesus Christ about the Messiah, about himself. Isaiah 61 is one of those passages in the Old Testament that's filled with messianic hope. It's one of those passages that God's people in the Old Testament would look forward to. They'd look to and they'd think about what God would do when the Messiah would come. Written hundreds of years before Jesus came on the scene, it spoke of the Messiah's mission to preach the good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, sight to the blind, liberty to the oppressed. To proclaim the Lord's favor. In a word, the Messiah and his mission was to turn this fallen world and its brokenness right side up again. Jesus read that passage and then it says that he sat down in verse 20. And we picture him handing the scroll back to the attendant and walking down from the front and finding his place out 
in, in the congregation and sitting down. And then the text says that everyone was looking at him. That's not exactly what happened. In those days, whoever read the scroll would offer a sermon, who would offer things to say, and, and he would sit down at the front and he would preach or comment on the text. So Jesus sat down and everybody was watching him. They were looking to see what he had to say. And I think that Jesus did preach a sermon that day. It says in verse 22, people spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. But the only part of that sermon we have recorded are these powerful words. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Can you imagine being there in the first century to hear Jesus say that about one of the most hopeful messianic passages in the whole Bible? Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is essentially Jesus doing a cannonball into the deep end of the church of the synagogue in Nazareth saying, I am the Messiah. I am the promised one. And the Bible says that they talked about his gracious words, but then it's interesting when they say, is not this Joseph's son? They were throwing shade on Jesus by saying those words. Is this guy really legit? I mean, isn't this Joseph's son? And what Jesus did next is uh, he brought it. We use those types of words in sports. Give me your breath shot. Bring it. Um, That's exactly what Jesus Christ did. He spoke about how they would mock him on the cross. He spoke about how they'd say, why don't you do the same miracles that you did in those other places here among us? And then Jesus used two examples, which may seem obscure to us, but their message was so clear and powerful. These are stories showing God choosing to show mercy to outsiders. To those outside of Israel. So the first one comes from Elijah. In this three and a half year drought. Elijah was sent of all places to Sidon. A forgotten place. Of all people. A widow named Zarephath. Jesus' message was clear. Because of your unbelief. uh, Brothers and sisters of Nazareth. And because of God's radical grace. He sent His mercy outside of Israel. Same thing is expressed in the thing with Elisha. There were plenty of people that had leprosy in the time of Elisha. You know, the only one that's recorded as being healed was Naaman. Naaman was an enemy uh, general against God's people. Of all the people to get healed from leprosy. And you know who told him about how he could get healed? A slave girl from from Israel. Jesus brought it. He spoke the truth to them. And how did they respond? Their, Their sweet words were gone. I think we can appreciate this. Um, And in our southern passive aggressive selves. 
I don't know if you've ever done this with me. I hope not. But, you know, you could say, great sermon, preacher. Kind of pat him on the back and then look at everyone and say. Um, And that's essentially what they had done. And after Jesus spoke the truth clearly and plainly to them, there was one thing on their minds. Murder. They wanted to kill him. The Bible says that they were filled with wrath and they took him to the edge of the city to a cliff, not just so he could roll down the cliff. They were going to throw him off the cliff and kill him. This wasn't a stranger. He grew up in Nazareth. He played with their kids. He went to school with their kids. He wasn't a drifter that came into town. He was from their hometown. He was part of their home church, and now they wanted to kill him. It says in verse 30 that Jesus passed through. I love how Luke records what happens here. He passed through their midst and went away. Jesus' authority is expressed through his words, through his message. But this is one of the places where we see that God was walking in the flesh. And even though Satan used these words to try to tempt Jesus, remember what he said? He'll give his angels charge over you. That's exactly what happened here. And so Jesus walked through the midst of this whole crew of people that were going to kill him. He didn't slink away. He didn't run away. He didn't slip away. He walked through the midst of them. And his authority is expressed as he begins his ministry. And you know Jesus' authority is still expressed and established today. And it's through his message. And what was unique about Jesus' message that brought so much authority? There are a couple things. First of all, he spoke gracious words. You know Jesus came to bring life. His mission was a rescue mission of love. Think about all the people in the world who have been blown away by Jesus Christ. Why? Because he showed them radical mercy and grace. Their worlds were rocked because he said things like this. To the woman caught in adultery, he said, go and sin no more. To the woman with the issue of blood who came to him, fearfully admitting that that she had touched him, he said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. You're healed of your disease. To the prostitute who washed his feet with her perfume and her tears and her hair, Jesus said, your sins are forgiven you. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. He spoke gracious words, a huge part of Christ's authority and the power of the message of Christianity is this amazing grace. It's established and it's expressed through grace, undeserved, unmerited, accepted in the beloved, forgiven when we don't deserve it, grace. Grace that changes people, that shocks them. With love and mercy. Have you experienced that grace this morning? Maybe you've experienced it in the past. Have you experienced that grace from God recently in your life? Has your life been changed because Christ spoke gracious words to you? He also spoke true words. 
This also brought authority to his message. Jesus' words were filled with grace, but he didn't pull any punches. And he said what needed to be said in the way that it needed to be said at the time that it needed to be said. And even though it makes us nervous and scared to death to think about it, the truth will set us free. So Jesus told the woman at the well, You're right in saying that you have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the woman and the man that you're with now is not your husband. Jesus was right in confronting the Pharisees in their self-righteous legalism and in telling the crowds, unless you repent, you'll likewise perish. He was full, the Bible says, of grace and truth. He still speaks gracious and true words. And many times we're the ones that are called to speak those words on his behalf. We're we're called to speak gracious words and true words. And a lot of times we struggle with both, don't we? Sometimes we're so gracious. But our words of grace forget or leave out the truth. So it's not really grace. Sometimes we speak the truth without grace. And we hammer people in judgment without the hope of the gospel. May God help us to recognize the authority of his message and to trust in him for the times that we mix that up. The beautiful thing is Jesus still speaks into this world through broken and messed up vessels like us. The second thing we see from Luke's Uh, The passage here in Luke 4 is that Jesus not only expressed his authority through his message, he expressed his his authority through the world. And he did that, first of all, we see in verses 31 through 37 in the supernatural world. Jesus went down to Capernaum on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. Guess where he went on the Sabbath? That's right, he went to church, he went to the synagogue, and there was a demon-possessed man there in the synagogue. There are several things that we can learn from this passage about Jesus' authority. First of all, the spiritual world at this time was turned upside down. Let's be honest. We don't know what to do with passages about demon possession in the Bible. They're weird. They're scary. At no time before and at no time since has there been so much recorded about demon possession. And here's why. The creator of heaven and earth was walking on the earth. God in the flesh. And the spiritual world was turned upside down. And Satan was giving Jesus everything he had to try to subvert and to... uh, throw this mission, this divine rescue mission off base. And so we see demon possession over and over again in the ministry of Jesus. And one of the things that we see highlighted here and in other places is that this demon possession includes fear and bravado. The satanic tactic to express authority in this passage and other passages like it is through fear and bravado. The demon cried out with a loud voice to scare and intimidate everyone there. What are you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? 
Fear and force can seem very powerful, but Jesus' authority is greater. And he expressed real authority, and he rebuked the demon, and he said, Be silent and come out of him. And he came out, and and it didn't do any damage or harm to the man, and the people were amazed at the authority and the power that Jesus had over expressed over Satan and the powers of darkness. Jesus has authority over this world, even the supernatural world. And you know that Jesus still has that same authority today. Even though satanic oppression is not usually expressed in our culture the same way it was in the first century, it's very real. It's still present among us. Think of all the folks that are trapped in sin Trapped in addiction or apathy or selfishness or self-deception. The powers of darkness cheer and intimidate when we're going through the ringer, don't they? There's no way out. There's no other option. This is the only way. You know you'll never ever be loved or accepted or forgiven. No one can ever know. You know, Jesus Christ can crush those lies. He can crush Satan's fear and bravado, breaking the bonds of sin and slavery in this world, bringing hope and joy and life. And it's not magical. It takes work and tears and prayer and surrender to Jesus Christ. But it's no less real and life-changing. Jesus has the power to work in your life. Think about the areas that you think can never change. Jesus Christ has the power and the authority to work in those areas. Do you believe it? Jesus also expressed his authority over the natural world. Remember those promises that he read from Isaiah 61? They're coming true before our eyes. Liberty to the captives. Sight to the blind, the year of the Lord's favor. In verses 38 through 41, we read about how Simon's mother-in-law was sick. She had a high fever. And they pleaded with Jesus. And he came and he healed her. And uh, I don't know if any of you have had the flu this season. But when you have a high fever, you don't snap back right away. It takes a lot out of you. But part of the miracle here is that she immediately began to serve the people there. She was healed. And then the the text tells us that people started to bring all the folks that they knew, their loved ones, their friends, their neighbors, to be healed by Jesus. And it's another snapshot. It's a glimpse into the Messiah's mission to bring life, to turn right side up this broken world. Jesus still has authority over the natural world. Though he's not physically here walking around on earth healing the sick and giving sight to the blind, he's still God. And he still does and can do things beyond what we could ask or think. God can still heal. God can still work in ways that we cannot understand, that doctors can't explain. And he also uses people like us to express his authority over the natural world through acts of kindness and mercy 
and grace. We can help promote and establish the messianic messianic kingdom principles in proclaiming liberty to the captives, good news to the poor, and offering a cup of cold water in His name through loving and serving and remembering the lost and the forgotten and the marginalized, orphans, widows, refugees. When we do that, we are expressing, enjoying, and displaying the authority of Jesus in this world, in this physical world, by doing justice and loving mercy and walking humbly with God. And that really leads to the last point this morning. Jesus expressed his authority through his mission. And we see it in verses 42 through 44. I love this part. Jesus went to a desolate place. He had to get away to pray, spend time with his heavenly father and the people from the from the town, they must have followed him. They found him. And what did they want to do? They just wanted to keep Jesus there forever. They wanted to bottle him up. And, and we can't really blame them because what they experienced through Christ is something that they'd never experienced before in their lives. And Jesus tells them plainly and powerfully No, I can't stay here. I must go and preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. I was sent for this very purpose. He doesn't shame them. He doesn't rebuke them. He appeals to something bigger. Something more glorious. His mission. I was sent for this very purpose. Other people have got to hear what I have to say. They've got to see what I'm all about. This is my mission, Jesus said, to preach the good news to the other towns, to the other places, to seek and to save the lost, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And I think this this sense of mission by Jesus is one of the greatest expressions of authority, of his authority in the Bible and in the Bible's narrative. You remember after Jesus told his disciples for the third time, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be betrayed, and I'm going to lay down my life on the cross and rise again on the third day. After that, the Bible says in Luke 9, verse 51, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face literally like a flint or like a razor's edge to go to Jerusalem. Jesus came to earth on a mission, with a mission. And every step closer to Jerusalem, to the cross, his sense of resolve grew stronger and stronger. And there was nothing and there was no one who could stop him. Do you know that Jesus still expresses his authority through his mission today? God is still working. He's still on a mission, calling men and women and boys and girls to himself. God is accomplishing his purposes. And one of the coolest and most fulfilling things about being a Christian is that we get to be part of God's mission. We're his ambassadors, the Bible says. We're his spokes spokesmen and women. We have the joy and the duty and the privilege to tell others 
about the good news of the kingdom, to share his grace and mercy and light with our neighbors and our co-workers and our family and our friends, even to our enemies. And I think this is one of the things that we must never forget as South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church. As we think about moving into the future, we have wounds that need healing, yes. We have needs among the flock, yes, but we must never, ever forget. We must never neglect, never put on the back burner Christ's mission in us and in this world. To preach the good news of the gospel. Jesus said it like this. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus Christ, he has authority. Seen through his message over the world in his mission. Let's be honest, though. When we hear authority, a lot of us think authoritative. We think authoritarian. We think about folks abusing others, using their power to run over people, and leaving collateral damage in their wake. But here's the thing. There's so many times in our lives where we need and we want and we hope and we dream for someone with authority and a power and power who can really help us. How many times have you been on the phone with a customer service agent and you realize after 10 or 15 or 90 minutes that uh, this person really can't help you? Imagine being a prisoner of war, locked up in a POW camp, And uh, you've lost count of the days that you've been there when out of nowhere the doors open and there's an American Special Forces operator there who puts his hand to his mouth and says, shh, we're going to get you out of here. That guy and his crew, they have authority. We want and need the authority and the reign and the power of Jesus Christ in our lives. He calls us. We're trapped in the bondage of sin. He calls people who are weary and weighed down with sin. He calls people who are sick with the apathy in their own lives. He calls those who trust in him, but who know there's so much more to my life with Christ than what I'm experiencing now. He says to all of us, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, believe in me, trust in me, follow me. Lay down your lives for me and I will give you rest and joy and persecutions and fellowship and eternal life, good days and bad days. He has the authority. That's the kind of person, that's the kind of leader, that's the kind of savior that we want and we need. Jesus has authority in our lives. 
Lord Jesus, help us to follow you. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that you would help us to lean into the rule and reign of Jesus Christ in this world and in our lives. So many times we want to do things our own way and our own strength. And we pray you'd help us to follow you, Lord Jesus, and trust in you and to lean on you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.